The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Lani Eckhart Dodd. She is a native Hawaiian mother, farmer, educator, and water rights advocate from Maui, Hawaii. She farms taro and other traditional Hawaiian crops with her family on their farm, Ola Mau Farms. The farm serves as a classroom for school children enrolled in a Hawaiian immersion school, which is a food way for the Hawaiian community seeking to return to a traditional diet. It's also a seed bank for heritage Hawaiian taro varieties. Lani is also a member of a social and environmental justice advocacy group that is involved in an ongoing legal battle to restore the flow of four streams in central Maui. Welcome, Lani. It's so great to have you with me. Aloha, Melinda. Aloha from the Ahupua'a of Waiehu on the island of Maui in the occupied nation of Hawaii. Aloha. Well, those of us who live on the mainland probably think about Hawaii as being this tropical island paradise. Maybe we go as tourists and we enjoy a luau, we see native Hawaiian dances, we enjoy the beaches, the beautiful scenery, but we probably don't question the food that we're served, where it comes from, and some of the real challenges faced by Hawaiian island natives and people who have come to live there and call it home. I was first informed about some of the problems with regard to food on the Hawaiian Islands when 9-11 happened, and I learned that some of the food just couldn't come to the islands because of the problem with the ships coming in during that crisis period. And now we're facing another crisis period with COVID, and to be so dependent on imported food when you're an isolated set of islands to me is something that we should be talking about. Tell me, how did you become interested in food work and food sovereignty? Well, I guess that could be a long story, and there's a lot of facets to that question and the answer. As a kanaka oivi, or indigenous person who's ancestrally tied to Hawaii, we relate to land, we call it aina, as kin. And so having a relationship with the land is just part of our identity and our culture and our practice as one. So I've always had a garden. My mom always had a garden. And so we always had some amount of food. But I really became interested in farming and the issues of food security and availability of healthful and safe foods when I became a mother. Mm. Yeah. When my partner was pregnant with our first son, we were being mindful about the foods that she ate in order for our baby to develop and be healthy. But then we started to plan ahead, so we started growing taro. And coincidentally, the gestation period for a baby and the growth cycle for the taro are the same. And we, it was important for us that when our child was born, that his first food be po 
poi. So if we talk about food in Hawaii, I think it's important that we talk about poi because it's the staple food and preferred food of of this place and the people of this place. Mm. Many women become interested in food and the environment around the time that they either become parents or children come into their lives. And it's just this way, I think, that we have of wanting to nurture and protect those that we love. So it makes total sense to me. I'm curious about native Hawaiian food. So terms like poi, that's so foreign to me. Tell me about some of the native Hawaiian foods and what is poi exactly? Yeah. So poi is taro. It's a tuber and it is cleaned and steamed and mashed and then fermented and then mixed with poi before consumption. And this was the preferred food that all of Hawaii ate for thousands of years before Western contact, every meal. We also eat a lot of breadfruit, sweet potatoes, bananas. Fish was our main source of protein as well as seaweeds for iron and vitamins. But although crops like breadfruit and sweet potato could produce lots of food and an abundance of food, the taro plant is special to us because it's linked to our creation story, and Hawaiians just developed a taste for taro and poi, and so they developed complex irrigation systems and terracing systems that allowed us to pick the choicest cultivars and grow them so that we could have our preferred varieties of taro and have this very important, nutritious, fermented food as our staple in our diet. Are these traditional Hawaiian foods typically served in schools and in institutions on Hawaii? Absolutely not. I think the accessibility to taro especially, but really all of our traditional foods, it has become so difficult because of the shift in the way that we did our, or do agriculture over the past 100, 20, 130 years. Once our waterways were dried up and diverted for sugar plantations, really we were not able to cultivate these foods at all. And so they've become sort of a specialty item that are very expensive if bought in the stores. So that's kind of another reason why I began my effort to kind of expand our farm is I just wanted people to be able to have access to these foods and also to the seeds for these foods so that they could begin starting their own gardens and farms too. Mm, I think it's a really important mission and a critical undertaking for people to understand their history and their connection to the land. So I did a little research before our interview because I wanted to understand what some of those changes in agriculture were. And I learned that after Western Contact in 1778, there were drastic changes because of land ownership and the sugarcane plantation industry. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened when the sugarcane industry moved to the islands? Great. So Captain Cook came in 1778, and then there's an influx of foreigners coming to Hawaii, seafarers, the whaling industry, and then... Christianity with American missionaries in the mid-1800s, 
And so ideas about relationships to land and ownership of land had to do with the shift in religious beliefs and spirituality as well. I mentioned that the tarot is a part of our creation story. In Hawaiian cosmogony, the sky and the earth produced this plant, the tarot, and this tarot plant is the older sibling to the Hawaiian. So we have for us um, this illustration of an interdependence with the land and our food source. But with Christianity, it's a different story and a different belief system. And so I think this allows for foreigners to be able to capitalize on their desires to have control over land and water. There's a saying here that the missionaries came to do good, and they did well indeed. In 1893, the queen was deposed, and it was the children of the original missionaries who committed this act of the overthrow. They had business interest in sugar plantations, and so they were able to politically maneuver themselves to have control over land and water, and basically dispossess Hawaiian nationals from their land base and from their food source as well. Mm, what a shame. And the sugar cane that was produced there, it's my understanding that what happened with the plantation industry was that it allowed many immigrants to come and work on those plantations. But today, there are no plantations left, and most of that sugar production has gone to other countries. What happened to that land? Right. So by the 80s and 90s, sugar wasn't making money anymore, and the plantations started to shut down. But the corporations maintained control of the land and water resources even though they were losing money as they reorganized, and many of them reincorporated as water companies or real estate brokerages. And so um, we are seeing the development of land, and development of land here in Hawaii is dependent on access to water. So I'm involved in Hui on the Water Advocacy Group because once sugar shut down, we said, you know, it's time for the restoration of balance of our natural environment, but also the cultural landscape and and the foodscape of Hawaii as well. Mm. Yeah, there's so much indigenous wisdom. Those of us on the mainland, too, see or recognize the value of indigenous foodways and land care, really. And with that same mindset of this interconnection that we should not be trying to dominate nature or own part of it, because we're all interconnected in this web. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you, because I thought that your perspective would be of great interest to our listeners, just to sort of start to try to think a little bit differently about food and water and the earth, especially during this time of crisis with climate change, for example. And I wanted to ask you, in addition to the whole land ownership and management struggles that you face, how has climate change impacted you? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Sea level rise is beginning to take its toll. Many of our roadways are along the coast, and they're already partially in the ocean in some sections. Personally, I've had to deal with on a small farm periods of drought that almost wiped us out last year, actually. We weren't able to water our farm, and luckily I was able to 
grab some of the seed that was here and take it to our homestead. Otherwise, we would have been wiped out by drought. Yeah, I mean, this is important. We have friends who work in forestry here and conservation stewardship, and they're important partners to the agricultural community here, too. The traditional agricultural system here kept irrigation ditches along the rivers and the streams in order to recharge our aquifers and kept intact the water cycle here. But the sugar plantations for over 100 years were diverting water away from the rivers, and so our aquifers are at a dangerous level now. And with long periods of drought now, the security of our water is a very concerning issue as well. Mm. Let me take one break because we're halfway through and just remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Lonnie Eckert-Dodd. She is a Native Hawaiian mother, farmer, educator, and water rights advocate from Maui, Hawaii. She farms taro and other traditional Hawaiian crops with her family on their farm. And she is also involved with a social justice and environmental justice advocacy group that's involved in an ongoing legal battle to restore the flow of four streams in central Maui. Since we are talking about water, let's talk about what kind of work your advocacy organization is working on to restore water rights. Yeah, during the sugar plantation here in central Maui, we call it politically Nawai'eha, the four waters, they're dried up and the waterways diverted to sugar plantations. So not only did that take away the food source within the river itself, the fish and the limpet, but it meant that the connectivity between the mountain and the sea was broken, which affects estuaries and nearshore fisheries. And so the food source in the ocean was affected as well. So when sugar started to decline, a group of us organized and decided it was a good political time to push back and ask the state of Hawaii to protect the public trust doctrine as it relates to water and the water code and water rights. And written into state law is that water should be put to the best and highest use. And so we challenged the corporations maintaining control and importing water and asked for the streams to be restored. So this started around 2002, and our contested case is ongoing. We're still waiting for a final ruling of our contested case. In 2014, I believe, the four streams were allotted an interim stream flow standard, where in the meantime, while the case was ongoing, the streams had to maintain a certain amount of flow but we are still waiting for a final ruling so that the right of the rivers to flow and the right of traditional farmers along the rivers can finally be adjudicated and recognized legally. Mm. I'm so glad you're doing this work. I'm sure it's not easy, and there's probably a lot of political money and that idea of dominance, again, that, that you're struggling and fighting against. But for the sake of future generations and the freedom to have access to water. I think this work that you're doing is so important. I'll provide a link to that website so that people can understand more about the struggles that you're facing and how critical water management is, or the freedom to have access to that water. So now we're facing another crisis. I mean, on top of climate change, which was always seen as 
This is the existential threat that we're facing as a people. And now we've got this pandemic that we're dealing with globally and shifting a bit of the food on the islands. So tell me how COVID has impacted your community specifically. Yeah, I mean, back in March and April, it was quite frightening. There was a real fear that the ships would not be able to come into port. And overnight, all of the shelves and all of the supermarkets were bare. I'm not sure if the listeners are aware, but in Hawaii, we are almost completely dependent on foreign imports for food. I think it's between 90 and 95 percent. Mm. And so hunger and starvation, not really knowing you know, what was going to happen globally in this pandemic and how it was going to affect us, it became very a very, very real threat to our survival here in Hawaii. So has that shifted some of the thinking about maybe restoring some agricultural lands and bringing back the foodways that people... You know, as a, yeah, as a farmer and a political advocate, advocate, I was excited about that. Like, oh, wow, okay, people are really are going to be able to recognize what we've been talking about and fighting for, but I really have not seen that much of a shift or as much as I would have liked to see in a shift in attitudes and behavior. We have become, I think, so dependent on tourism and so dependent on real estate development and the dollars that drive those economies. Mm. I think it's hard for people to even consider to bite the hand that feeds them in a sense. But in another sense, there have been smaller grassroots efforts. Friends like Autumn, mm-hmm. Ray Ness, that you know are involved in these food hubs. Um, these are the kinds of things that we've been talking about and dreaming about. But when COVID hit, it motivated a lot of us to push these initiatives forward. Mm-hmm. So, not happening as quickly. <laughs> the revolution's not happening as quickly as I'd like it to. But we're seeing some some changes. Well, I think we've had a real cold slap in the face with regard to our agricultural and food systems. And if there's a silver lining to this pandemic, may it be that we rethink how we produce our food and have a great deal more respect for understanding how to grow truly good food. And I want to get back to the immersion school that you've got on your land and bringing children on to learn some of their heritage and that you also have a seed bank. Tell me about that. Yeah, so my sons attend a school called Kikulo Pi'ilani, and it's a small, independent Hawaiian language and culture immersion school, the first of its kind, actually. And the school model integrates the academics and brings in teachers who are cultural practitioners. And so I get to be the agriculture teacher. They also learn pula. They also learn how to do traditional weaving and art. And so math and science and language arts are kind of incorporated into our cultural practices. But more than that, I feel like my work at the farm with the children is really about cultivating relationships. Mm. So we teach the cosmogony of the Hawaiian people and we utilize poetry and prayers in our work to teach values. I truly believe that enduring stable relationships help us develop confidence give us a sense of safety and security, 
And for Hawaiian, the Aina or the land is kin. So if we have that relationship, we don't ever really feel alone. Mm-hmm. So the acts of tilling, planting, weeding are spiritual ones that allow us to connect with our ancestors. And when we work in unity with each other and harmony with nature, we are with our ancestors and we realize that we've been left the infrastructure to produce abundant amounts of food so we can take care of each other. Mm. Do you think that islanders are waking up to the fact that being so dependent on such a large percentage of imports is crucial to changing the way agriculture is done in Hawaii? I mean, you see the problem, you see the crisis. Do you think that there's been an awakening? I think for the Native Hawaiian community, it's been an easier shift because of our cultural and spiritual beliefs. But we also are dealing with the long-term effects of colonization. (laughs) And so changing people's minds and habits is difficult. I'm not sure. There's a lot of talk about wanting to increase our food production locally, but it's not backed up by policy yet. And so... There's a lot of work to be done on that end. I'm more of a grassroots effort kind of a person, so I like to think that lots of small efforts like mine to be involved with schools on the ground really sets up the next generation to make the moves it'll take to make the real change happen. Right. And once children learn of those critical connections, then it becomes more second nature. And I think it's so great that you're working with children you mentioned that the school is a private school. How much do you think you might be able to bring these kinds of activities into the public schools? Yeah, there's, there is a movement in the public school system as well, working in tandem with, with us or us with them. There are small schools within schools. And so I think that If we can get our school lunch program linked up with farmers, it's a nice way to kind of illustrate what we're capable of. And there have been some groups like the Farmers Union who have been trying to make those moves politically to make that happen. Because right now, most of our schools, our public schools are eating food that are shipped in in frozen boxes Mm. because the food has to be certified by the USDA. Oh, yeah. I am aware through Autumn Ness's work trying to stop some of the pesticide spraying that Monsanto slash Bayer and other large-scale industrial agrochemical businesses do a lot of testing on Hawaii. And I wonder if you've had any problems with water contamination and any chemical drift on your farm. Yeah, I'm not next to any of those large corporations. My mom actually lives right next door to a Monsanto farm. So I'm always concerned about the drift coming into her neighborhood. And there have been several children who have birth defects that seem to be clearly linked to that problem. The farm here is in an agricultural subdivision on a four-acre lot. The lot above us uses a lot of pesticides, Roundup to spray on weeds right up to the border of our farm. So We've had to utilize swales and berms and planting plants that could help us filter through 
some of those things and divert them around uh, the border of the farm. But I'm also dealing with farmland that has been used by the pineapple industry for decades before me. So I'm cleaning up tons of plastics as well. Mm. Oh my gosh. You know, we just have a couple of minutes. So I want to ask you if there's anything that you want to share with our listeners that I might not have brought forth in our conversation. Yeah. You know, when most people think of Hawaii, it probably conjures images of a tropical paradise because Hawaii is beautiful. Our islands and our people are beautiful. But what I think is important to say and for people to know and acknowledge is that Hawaii is suffering, that Hawaii continues to suffer in part due to American colonialism. Our food sovereignty is tied to our political sovereignty, and the health of our community is tied to the health of our land. Colonization and exploitation are not only like historical traumas, but they're ongoing. So issues of reliance on food imports, the cultural and environmental degradation that we're experiencing, the poisoning of our air, our land, and our water with pesticides and plastics. All of these things are tied to the uncomfortable truth that America is involved in the ongoing illegal occupation of Hawaii. Um, I think you said you've been to Hawaii a few times, so you're probably familiar with the term aloha. We use it here to greet each other and to express love. You know, aloha is the warmth that you feel when you come here. And aloha has taken our music and our hula and our friendships across the globe. But what I hope is that when people hear the truth about Hawaii and acknowledge the truth about Hawaii, that some of that aloha will be returned and reflected upon us. Really, it's time for Hawaii to heal, and we're ready, and we're capable of feeding ourselves, and we're preparing our children in order to resume our role as stewards of our home. Mm-hmm. That's a really important message. You describe it in terms of aloha aina, is that right? Love of the land, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep, that's right. So aloha is this expression of love and humility and oneness. And then aina means land, but it really means that which feeds. So aloha aina is an expression of love for our land and it's an expression of our nationalism and our national pride, but really the value of caring for the place that literally allows you to survive and feeds you. Thank you so much, Lonnie, for being my guest today. Well, as I mentioned, I will provide a link to your farm website as well as to the advocacy organization that speaks about the critical nature of water. You have a wonderful historical list of things that have happened over the course of time that anybody who visits Hawaii, I think it would be beneficial to learn more about the history of where they're going. So not taking the food and water for granted and the land. We've got to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Lani Eckhart-Dodd. She is a native Hawaiian mother, farmer, educator, and water rights advocate from Maui, Hawaii. 
where she farms taro and other traditional Hawaiian crops with her family on their farm. I'll provide a link to that. And thank you, too, for your dedication to preserving those connections to land and water and our spiritual and mental, physical health. Thank you so much, Lonnie. Aloha, mahalo. Aloha. Aloha. 